In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Do this in remembrance of me. If we want to just rediscover in all its richness, the profound relationship between the Church and the Eucharist, we can't neglect Mary, mother and model of the Church. In his apostolic letter, Rosarium Virginis Mariae, the Rosary of the Virgin Mary, St. John Paul pointed out that the Blessed Virgin Mary is our teacher in contemplating the face of Christ. And among the mysteries of light, he included the institution of the Eucharist. Our Lady can guide us towards this most holy sacrament because she herself had a profound relationship with it. At first glance, the gospel is silent on the subject. The account of the institution of the Eucharist on the night of Holy Thursday makes no mention of Mary. Yet we know from the Acts of the Apostles that she was present among the apostles who prayed with one accord in the first community which gathered after the ascension in the expectation of Pentecost. And so Our Lady must have been present at the Eucharistic celebrations of the first generations of Christians a word, as we were told in the Acts, devoted to the breaking of bread. But also in addition to her sharing in the Eucharistic banquet, an indirect picture of Our Lady's relationship with the Eucharist can be had beginning with her interior disposition. And so Pope John Paul had like, has liked to call Our Lady the woman of the Eucharist in her whole life. And the church which looks to Mary as a model is also called to imitate her in her relationship with this most holy mystery. The Eucharist is a mystery of faith which greatly transcends our understanding as to call for sheer abandonment to the word of God 
And so there can be no one like Our Lady to act as our support and guide in acquiring this disposition. In repeating what Christ did at the Last Supper, in obedience to his command, do this in memory of me. We also accept Our Lady's invitation to obey him without hesitation. Do whatever he tells you. And so with the same maternal concern, which she showed at the wedding feast of Cana, Our Lady seems to say to us, do not waver. Trust in the words of my son. If he was able to change water into wine, he can also turn bread and wine into his body and blood. And through this mystery, bestow on believers the living memorial of his Passover. In this way, becoming the bread of life. In a certain sense, Our Lady lived her Eucharistic faith even before the institution of the Eucharist. By the very fact that she offered her virginal womb for the incarnation of God's word. The Eucharist, while commemorating the passion and resurrection, is also in continuity with the incarnation. At the Annunciation, Mary conceived the Son of God in the physical reality of his body and blood, thus anticipating within herself what to some degree happens sacramentally in every believer who receives under the signs of bread and wine the Lord's body and blood. And so as a result, there's a profound analogy between the fiat, the let it be done unto me, which Mary said in reply to the angel, and the amen, which every believer says when receiving the body of the Lord. Mary was asked to believe that the one whom she conceived through the Holy Spirit was the Son of God. And in continuity with Our Lady's faith in the Eucharistic mystery, we are asked to believe that the same Jesus Christ, Son of God and Son of Mary, becomes present in his full humanity and divinity under the signs of bread and wine. Mary also anticipated 
in the mystery of the incarnation, the church's Eucharistic faith. When at the visitation, she bore in her womb the word made flesh, she became in some way a tabernacle, the first tabernacle in history, in which the Son of God, still invisible to our human gaze, allowed himself to be adored by Elizabeth, radiating his light, as it were, through the eyes and the voice of Mary. And is not the enraptured gaze of Mary, says St. John Paul, when she contemplated the face of the newborn Christ and cradled him in her arms, that unparalleled model of love, which should inspire us every time we receive Holy Communion. We could say that Mary, throughout her life, at the side of Christ, and not only on Calvary, she made her own the sacrificial dimension of the Eucharist. When she brought the child Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, she heard the aged Simeon announced that the child would be a sign of contradiction and that a sword would also pierce her own heart. The tragedy of her son's crucifixion was thus foretold. And in some sense, Mary's stab at matter, she stood at the foot of the cross, was overshadowed. In her daily preparation for Calvary, Mary experienced a kind of anticipated Eucharist. One might say a, a spiritual communion of desire and of offering, which would culminate in her union with her son in his passion. And then find expression after Easter by her partaking in the Eucharist, which the apostles celebrated as the memorial of that passion. What must Mary have felt as she heard from the mouth of Peter, John, James, and the other apostles, the words spoken at the Last Supper, this is my body which is given for you. The body given up for us and made present under sacramental signs was the same body which she had conceived in her womb. For Mary, receiving the Eucharist must have somehow meant welcoming once more into her womb that heart which had beat in unison with hers 
and reliving what she had experienced at the foot of the cross. In the memorial of Calvary and all that Christ accomplished by his passion and his death is present. Consequently, all that Christ did with regard to his mother for our sake is also present. To her, her he gave the beloved disciple and in him, each of us, behold your child, behold your son. And to each of us, he also says, behold your mother. And so experiencing the memorial of Christ's death in the Eucharist also means continually receiving this gift. It means accepting, like John, the one who is given to us anew as our mother. It also means taking on a commitment to be conformed to Christ, putting ourselves at the school of his mother and allowing her to accompany us. Mary is present with the church and as the mother of the church at each of, the, of our celebrations of the Eucharist. If the church and the Eucharist are inseparably united, the same ought to be said of Mary and the Eucharist. This is one reason since ancient times, the commemoration of Our Lady has always been part of the Eucharistic celebrations of the churches of the East and of the West. And so in the first Eucharistic prayer, we say in union with the whole church, we honour Mary, the ever-Virgin Mother, of our Lord and God. In the Eucharist, the church is completely united to Christ and his sacrifice and makes her own the spirit of Mary. And this truth can be understood more deeply by rereading the Magnificat in a Eucharistic key. The Eucharist, like the Canticle of Mary, is first and foremost praise and thanksgiving. When Mary exclaims, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, she already bears Jesus in her womb. She praises God through Jesus, but she also praises him in Jesus and with Jesus. This is itself the true Eucharistic attitude. 
At the same time, Our Lady recalls the wonders worked by God in salvation history in fulfillment of the promise once made to the fathers and proclaims the wonder that surpasses them all, the redemptive incarnation. And the Magnificat reflects also the eschatological tension of the Eucharist. Every time the Son of God comes again to us in the poverty of the sacramental signs of bread and wine, the seeds of that new history wherein the mighty are put down from their thrones and those of low degree are exalted take root in the world. Our Lady sings of the new heavens and the new earth, which find in the Eucharist their anticipation and in some sense their program and plan. The Magnificat expresses Mary's spirituality and there's nothing greater And this spirituality for helping us to experience the mystery of the Eucharist. The Eucharist has been given to us so that our life, like that of Mary, may become completely a Magnificat. St. John Paul says in that same Encyclical that several years years ago I celebrated the 50th anniversary of my priesthood. Today I have the grace of offering the Church this encyclical on the Eucharist on the Holy Thursday, which falls during the 25th year of my Petrine ministry. As I do so, my heart is filled with gratitude. For over half a century, every day, beginning on the 2nd of November 1946, when I celebrated my first Mass in the crypt of St. Leonard in Wawel Cathedral in Krakow, my eyes have gazed in recollection upon the host of the chalice, where time and space in some way merge. And the drama of Golgotha is represented in a living way, thus revealing its mysterious contemporaneity. Each day, he said, my faith has been able to recognize in the consecrated bread and wine, the divine wayfarer who joined the two disciples on the road to a mouse and opened their eyes to the light and their hearts to a new hope. Allow me, dear brothers and sisters, to share with deep emotion as a means of accompanying and strengthening your faith my own testimony of faith in the Most Blessed Eucharist. 
Ave verum corpus natum de Maria Virgine. Verbi passum immolatum in cruce pro omine. Here is the church's treasure, the heart of the world, the pledge of the fulfillment for which each man and woman unconsciously yearns. A great and transcendent mystery, and one that taxes our mind's ability to pass beyond appearances. And so our senses fail. Visus tactus gustus in te falitor. In the words of the hymn Adorate Devote, sight, touch, and taste in thee are each deceived. Yet faith alone, rooted in the words of Christ, handed down to us by the apostles, is sufficient for us. Allow me, like Peter, at the end of the Eucharistic discourse in St. John's Gospel, to say once more to Christ, in the name of the whole church, and in the name of each of you, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In promising the Eucharist, Jesus said, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. As the hymn that we've just mentioned, Ave Verum Corpus, reminds us, the flesh offered to the Last Supper and immolated on the cross was the same flesh Jesus received from his mother Mary. The word flesh suggests the living being in its entirety. To eat the flesh of Christ is to eat Christ himself. Because the gift of his body involves the gift of his person. Christ's person becomes food. And this implies on his part the gift of his entire self. One time at a get-together with St. Josemaria, a lady stood up and said that each day when she was going off to Mass, she would say to her young daughter, three or four years of age, well, I'm going to receive Jesus. And she said, one day when I told this to my daughter, the daughter replied with the question, and will you receive Mary also? And the mother said, I was a bit stumped. And she asked St. Josemaria, what should I tell my daughter? And St. Josemaria thought for a moment, it wasn't one of the usual sort of questions that he was asked. And then he said, well, in a certain sense, yes. Because the blood of Christ before was the blood of Mary. Another beautiful idea. You won't find that in a theology textbook. 
but it's a rather beautiful spiritual consideration. The statement, I am the bread of life, stresses that Jesus not only gives the bread of eternal life, but that this bread is his very self. The real presence of the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist clearly enunciated in our Lord's words has been received in the traditional in the tradition of the church as a truth of faith it has been repeatedly asserted and commented on by the fathers this doctrine developed as a result of certain controversies with the definitive voice being that of the Council of Trent. The Council affirmed not only the real presence of Christ's body and blood, but declared that the entire person of Christ, body, blood, soul and divinity, is present from the moment of the consecration. In the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it says the Eucharistic presence of Christ begins at the moment of the consecration and lasts as long as the Eucharistic species subsists. Christ is present, whole and entire, in each of the species and whole and entire in each of their parts, in such a way that the breaking of the bread does not divide Christ. And so wherever, wherever our Lord is, there we know his mother is also. And so Our Lady must be present at every Mass, at every consecration. Christ is uniquely present in the Eucharistic species. The Council of Trent said openly, and sincerely, we profess that within the Holy Sacrament of the Eucharist, after the consecration of the bread and wine, our Lord Jesus Christ, true God and true man, is really, truly and substantially contained under these outward appearances. He's really present, independent of the faith of the congregation. And so it's not our faith that makes him present. He's truly present. Trent used this word against a heretic called Zwingli, who taught that Christ was only present symbolically. And he's substantially present. Not merely is the power of Christ present, which Calvin taught, but Christ himself is present, God and man, after the consecration. And so in this way, our Lord in his humanity is present not only at the right hand of the Father, according to his natural mode of existence, but also in the sacrament of the Eucharist, by a mode of existence which we cannot express in words, but which with the mind instructed by faith we can conceive. 
This means that Christ's presence, presence in the sacrament will always remain a mystery. The fact of the real presence in the Eucharist leads us logically to a consideration of the mystery of transubstantiation through which the real presence is brought about. Whenever a priest in the name of Christ pronounces the words of consecration with the intention of doing what the church does, the bread and wine are changed into the substance of Christ's body and the substance of Christ's blood. Christ's body and blood are produced by an act of divine power through the agency of the priest as done by Christ himself at the Last Supper. The Council of Trent says that since Christ our Redeemer declared that to be truly his own body which he offered under the form of bread it has therefore always been a firm belief in the Church of God and this Holy Council now declares it anew that by the consecration of the bread and wine a change is brought about of the whole substance of bread into the substance of the body of Christ our Lord and of the whole substance of the wine into the substance of his blood. This change, the Holy Catholic Church properly and appropriately calls transubstantiation. In other words, it's only by such a total conversion of the substance of bread and wine into the substance of the Lord's body and blood. But his words, this is my body, this is my blood, really mean what they say. The seeming bread, said St. Cyril of Jerusalem, is not bread, though sensible to the taste, but the body of Christ. And the seeming wine is not wine, though the taste will have its soul, but the blood of Christ. At the moment of consecration, the body of Christ is not combined with natural bread, nor is it enclosed in the bread as in a container, but it replaces the substance of the bread, while the accidents, the colour, the taste, the weight, and so forth, remain in existence and untouched. That the accidents of bread and wine continue to exist, even after the substances of bread and wine have been changed, is part of the miracle of transubstantiation. As the body and blood of Christ are one, and are not isolated from one another, so too in the sacrament of the Eucharist they're found together by what's called concomitance. When the priest says, this is my body, Christ's body is made present 
but his blood, soul, and divinity are also present. Similarly, with the consecration of the wine, the blood of Christ is made present, but so also are his body, his soul, and divinity. Through concomitance, then, the whole glorious Christ is in the Eucharist. Trent says the natural connection through which the parts of the Lord Jesus, who is risen already from the dead and dies no more, are linked together. The body is never without the blood. The blood is never without the body. And so we can ask the woman of the Eucharist that she might lead us to a greater understanding and appreciation and love and faith in the real presence of her son in the sacrament of the altar. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations that you have communicated to me during this meditation. I ask your help to put them into practice. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.